0: Please take your seats. Well, I'm going to be ministering on uh, the subject of carrying one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, Galatians 6.2, in a few minutes' time. But before we do that, uh, Matt is going to come and uh, sing a solo. And that solo really leads into the message that I have for you today. The song is based on a true story Uh, A Catholic priest in America, Father Edward Flanagan um, in Ohio found that there was a lot of young boys that were from broken homes and uh, living on the streets. And so he started a boys' home. He called it Boys Town in 1917. And many, many boys were, were and are being helped at that Boys Town. And in 1921, there was a particular boy and he wore leg braces... He'd suffered from polio, and a lot of the other boys would give him a carry on their back to different places, and what you see behind us is a statue uh, that was made uh, to represent this young boy that was carried uh, by his other brothers. And um, the story was, is that when the priest saw a picture of a similar thing in a newspaper, And underneath it, this young boy carrying another boy, it said, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. And so because of what had happened at Boys Town earlier, they produced this statue, and on it, it reads, he ain't heavy, father, he's my brother. Talking about how at Boys Town they were taught to look after each other. Became a famous Hollywood film in 1938, Spencer Tracy and Mickey Rooney, we're in it called Boystown. And so the words of this song were based on this experience. And we hope that there'll be a blessing to you today. Matt. If you've got your Bibles, you might like to go with me to that verse that we're speaking about in Galatians 6, verse 2. Carry one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 6, 2. I've got a few other scriptures I want to read to you as well. James 2. And verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbors as yourself, you do well. Matthew 7 and verse 12, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. John, chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. These scriptures are foundational for your Christian life. In that first verse, Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens, carry one another's burdens. It says, if you do this, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Think of the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, and everything that was involved with that. Ceremonial laws, ritual laws, moral laws, civil laws, all these laws. But Christ comes with one law. He says, carry one another's burden. And so fulfill the law of Christ. James, we heard in 2 verse 8, speaks about the royal law. In other words, there are many things that we are to learn and live and do as Christians. And many teachings in the Bible to apply to our lives. Many instructions for living for God on earth. But there is a royal law. A supreme law. A law that is above all other laws. It's the kingly law that says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 7, verse 12, Sermon on the Mount. Do to others what you would have them do to you. And then Jesus says, "Is this is amazing, this is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Think about that. Everything that's taught in the law, all the messages that the Old Testament prophets came to bring, can be summed up with one application. Love, your, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus really, with all the instructions that he brought and his examples, he only really brought one new commandment. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. He's the example of the burden carrying that we should do for one another. And he says, look, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this. The defining characteristic of the Christian community or church is not its doctrine. Doctrine is important. You're getting a good dose of it this morning. But the defining characteristic of the Christian communion uh, community is that we love one another, that we bear one another's burden, so fulfilling the law of Christ. What the world should see in our lives first is not what doctrinal truth we tick box, but how we treat one another and how we treat our neighbor. It's time to keep the main thing the main thing. Christianity is not primarily about outward religiosity legalism, rights, or ceremonies, but neither is it primarily a self-absorbed, inward, introspective, and we have to be careful about falling into both of those traps. It's about bearing the burdens of human beings in a fallen world that can't bear their own burdens. It was the overriding command of Christ, it was the highest hope of the Mosaic law, It was the royal law. It was everything that the Old Testament pointed to. You know, the greatest need in London today is spirit-filled burden bearers who take responsibility for those around them as their major calling in life. If you're a Christian in this place today or you're watching on internet Your major calling in this life is to solve the problems of those around you and to bear their burdens. And if you do that, you'll be fulfilling the law and principle, first law and principle of Christ. There's a charity in Great Britain called Relate. People often hear about them because they help people that are suffering in their marriage relationships and try and bring healing and peace in those turbulent scenarios. And they commissioned some research across our country and uh, throughout this research, they estimated that five million people in Britain today do not have a person that they would call their close friends. They found that four out of ten people in Britain today have no real friend that they could call a friend in the workplace. Now, while 85% of married people and cohabiting people said that they had a good relationship in their partnership, 85% said they had a good relationship, listen to this, one in five said they rarely or never felt loved. There are alarming levels of loneliness among people who live their lives seemingly surrounded by others. You know one of the loneliest places that you can be on, if you're lonely, is somewhere like the Tube, or walking down a busy street. John Bingham, he's the social affairs editor of the Daily Telegraph, uh, was commenting on a report that had been done by the European government that came to the conclusion that Britain is the loneliest capital of Europe, and London, the loneliest capital of Britain. And he writes, Britain is the loneliest capital of Europe with its inhabitants, less likely overall to know their neighbours or have any strong friendships uh, with people, and it's worse than anywhere else in Europe. Ministers in government have called loneliness an epidemic in Great Britain today. We think of Christmas. Do you remember some of those amazing Christmas adverts that you have on television? uh, and, And they try now to get the adverts that sort of get a tear in your eye, don't they? Well, one of them was about an older man who was on the moon by himself, forgotten, isolated. There was no one on the moon to carry his burden, but a young girl down in her household somehow reached out to him. The message of Christ is the perfect message for Great Britain today. In fact, the message of Christ is ahead of the curve. It's not outdated, it's ahead of where most people are, and in fact where most Christians are. Why is this command of Christ ahead of where most Christians are in the West? Because unfortunately, in many Western churches today, I generalize of course, but in many Western churches today, we are suffering an epidemic called Christian narcissism. You say, what are you talking about? Well, narcissism, and I'm applying it to a lot of what the Western church is today, comes from a ancient myth, a Greek myth, where the major character, Narcissus, was proud, introverted, inward-looking, no one existed on the earth except himself. And so the gods sent his nemesis, nemesis was the one that took out the retribution for the gods, so he met his nemesis, who led him to a pool of water When Narcissus looked into the pool of water, he saw his own reflection and immediately fell in love with it. He didn't realize it was merely an image. And uh, he found that he was so attracted to his own image that he was unable to leave the beauty of his own image. He lost the will to live. And staring at his reflection, he was paralyzed in that position until he died. Uh, The Segan's Medical Dictionary says this about narcissism. It's a term with a wide range of meanings, most or all of which include an obsessive focus on oneself and one's needs and one's wants to the virtual exclusion of other people. In the Medical Dictionary for Dental Professors, we we got anybody that works in dentistry here today? No? Oh, we got one? Well... This is in your dictionary. It says this, that narcissism is a state in which one interprets everything in relation to oneself and not to other people. Selfish love. I thought to myself, why would this be in a dental dictionary? Maybe it was for all those people that wanted special gold teeth or something like that. So narcissism is self-absorbing. Everything revolves around me. Everything is about me and I am speaking in general terms, but there is a danger of a Christian narcissism in the Western world. What's God done for me lately? What what have you done for me lately? What's this church going to do for me? What's this home group or cell group going to do for me? And some conferences and churches might be tempted to adjust their ministry to the what's-in-it-for-me consumer generation. Well, this is a danger for us if we want to be authentic New Testament Christians because the verses that we looked at recently told us that our prime reason that we exist on earth when we become Christians is for the sake of carrying other people's burdens, not our own. I'm reminded of the that that uh, stinging statement of Cain when God asked him where his brother was in Genesis 4 verse 8 and Ken's, Cain said am I my brother's keeper you are your brother's keeper I'm going to read to you from Luke chapter 10 verse 25 the story of the Good Samaritan, which doesn't need much commentary on my part, except to say there is a great lawyer coming to Jesus, clever man, an intellectual man, and seemingly a godly man, and what they are discussing is the essentials of the Jewish faith. The essentials. When you boil it all down, what does true religion mean. This is what they're talking about. May it speak to your life and your situation. Luke 10, 25. Now a lawyer stood up and tested Jesus, saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, well, what is written in the law? How do you read? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your strength and with all your, your soul and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus answered, A man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. By chance, a priest came down that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to that place, looked at him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him. And bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Then he set him on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him. I'll repay you whatever else you spend when I return. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? He said, The one who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. So the question was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That wasn't a question, how do I get my sins forgiven to know I'm going to heaven? It was a question of how do I inherit everything that God has got for me in this life and the life to come? Jesus responded to him when he said, love the Lord with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. He said, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. What did he mean by that? he meant do this and you will find the secret of living and satisfaction on earth to love god and to bear your neighbors burden and at the end he was told to go and do likewise you know when i read the good samaritan it reminds me of a couple of hymns that i used to sing when i went to uh, a small school in the yorkshire dales martin cum grafton Church of England, junior school. And every morning we would have assembly where we'd sing different hymns. I look forward to the time when hymns are reintroduced into all schools in Britain because it brings a culture into children's lives that they don't forget. One of them went, would you walk by on the other side when someone called for aid? Would you walk by on the other side and would you be afraid? Sort of like, Cross over the road, my friend. Ask the Lord his strength to lend. His compassion has no end. Cross over the road. The Samaritan crossed over the road. Another song that I remember when I was a kid. When I needed a neighbor, were you there? Were you there? When I needed a neighbor, were you there? And the creed and the color and the name won't matter were you there. To think about it, little kids, five years old, up to the age of 11, these songs, singing this, being taught in the playground when someone injures themselves, you don't cross, you you, you don't leave them, you cross over the road to where they are. To be taught neighborliness, a good grounding for spirit-filled burden-bearing. The benefits of helping one another. There are great benefits in carrying the burdens of others. You heard the song, he's not heavy. Why? Because he's my brother. Those of you that are in the caring profession, you've got a head start uh, uh, over most of us because you do this for a profession. But also there may be some of you and there's some member of your family, maybe disabled or elderly, And you are carrying their burden in extremely practical ways, little things they can't do for themselves. And sometimes, I want to encourage you, sometimes you might think, well, what's left for me after caring for this person? You are one of God's choicest servants, doing the primary thing that he's called you to do. And you and your reward will be great in the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to read to you, a passage from Isaiah chapter 58 that talks about carrying people's burdens, especially the most needy. But entwined in Isaiah 58, as well as talking about carrying other people's burdens, it speaks about the incredible benefits that will come into your life if you watch over somebody else's life, if you care for someone else. In fact, what you do for others, God will do for you. When you carry other people's burdens, you will find that God will carry your burden. It's a principle of the New Testament. I'm going to read Isaiah 58. It might be difficult for you to follow some of this if you've got your Bibles open, because I'm 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 reading from the the, uh, message version, very contemporary. But try and pick out not only the helping and carrying burdens of others, that's there. Try and pick out the benefits of doing this. Isaiah 58 Starting from 6. This is the kind of fast day I'm after. To break the chains of injustice. Get rid of exploitation in the workplace. Free the oppressed. Cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry. Inviting the homeless poor into your homes. Putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad. Being available to your own families. Do this, and the lights will turn on. And your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage. Then when you pray, God will answer. You'll call out for help. And he'll say, here I am. If you get rid of unfair practices, quit blaming victims... Quit gossiping about other people's sins if you're generous with the hungry. And start giving yourselves to the down and out. Your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. I will always show you where to go. I'll give you a full life in the emptiest of places. Firm muscles, strong bones. You'll be like a watered garden... A gurgling spring that never runs dry. You'll use the old rubble of the past lives to build anew. Rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything. Restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate. Make the community livable again. The message is clear. You carry other people's burdens. God will carry your burden in a very special way. Your lives will turn around at once. When you pray, God will answer. He'll be there immediately. Uh, Your lives will glow in dark circumstances. The shadow that is over some of your circumstances will be removed and you'll be bathed in sunlight. It's all there. Wonderful promises. The benefits of helping others. You know, the Bible teaches us that the quickest way to get rid of our troubles or to deal with our troubles, maybe not get rid of them, but deal with them, is to help somebody else. Modern psychology also says that to get our mind off ourselves and onto the needs of others is a very important help for us to see things as they are, and not as we perceive them to be, out of the eyes of, perhaps, self-narcissism. I like Mike Murdoch. He's a TV preacher, and he has wisdom keys. And his wisdom key, number five, is excellent. If you're making notes, you might want to write this down. He says, Your rewards in life are determined by the kinds of problems you're willing to solve for others. Your rewards in life are determined by the kinds of problems you are willing to solve for others. You are the divine solution to the problems. Of people around you. God has kept you on this earth to be a problem solver, a burden bearer of others. That's what he's put you there for. Now, just look at the benefits of this, even in your workplace. You are at work if you're blessed enough to have a job, or you're in college, and if you begin to solve the problems of those that are around you and bear their needs, It will have a great impact on their lives and for the gospel message, but also it will come back on you with blessing. You know, if you've been a manager, if there's any managers or bosses out there, you will know that there is two types of people, generally speaking, that you will deal with uh, in your line management. You'll have those that are a blessing. They are problem solvers. Uh, They are always there when you need help. They take things off your desk. They don't place things on them. They're the ones that volunteer for the tasks during the committee meeting when everybody's arms are folded. When you're facing a difficult situation, they're there to help in any way. And then there's the others, and they work for you in their line management, but they don't solve problems for you. In fact, they become a problem for you. You know what I'm talking about. And, you sp- and, and the dangers are that you can spend more time managing a problem person, all your energy going into their gripes, their groans, their wants, their me- and you're spending your time with them and they're standing on their rights and, and, and they want to have a, a formal meeting and you're exhausted and you're pouring, that you can forget the person. There's never any problem. Always turns up on time. Is always first to help. A great blessing That person is a candidate for promotion. If you want to be promoted in life, you've got to recognize that your job description is nothing else but an invitation to solve somebody's problems. The more you solve someone's problems, the higher you will go. Uh, I'm teaching you a little bit of a Protestant work ethic here this evening this morning. Joseph solved problems to get where he was. He was thrown in a pit. He was sold as a slave. He could have gone into Potiphar's house and sulked. Don't they know who I am? I'm the apple of my father's eye. I can't believe what's happened to me. How how can my brothers do this to me? How how could God betray me and give me such dreams? I'm not not somebody's slave. I'm not doing anything. I'm just going to sit here and mope. No, he began to solve problems. He began to see everywhere a problem to be solved for someone, and especially those that were in authority over him. And soon... He was so good at solving people's problems and bearing their burdens that he was in charge of the whole of Potiphar's household. Then a terrible thing happened. He got falsely accused of rape and thrown into the dungeon. What did he do in prison? Well, that's it for me. I've had it, I do my best, and this is what I get. No, he began to solve the problems with God's help that were around him. Very soon, he was so good at solving problems that the chief of the jail... Spent most of his time sitting in a deck chair drinking cocktails, because in there Joseph was solving everybody's problems, with the help of God. He solved the problem of the cupbearer and the, uh, uh, the the baker, and finally he got to solve the problem of Pharaoh and carried. Through the grace of God and his problem-solving, burden-bearing attitude, the whole burden of the ancient Near East for seven years of famine. He carried that burden. He solved that problem with the help of God. I think there's got to be some reflection in our lives. This is what you've been brought here to do, to carry other people's burden. But it's not just about what you will get out of it from others. It'll be there sometimes. But what I've been teaching you in these last few minutes is really sort of like Burden Bearing 101. It's the introductory uh, material to beginning to turn your life outside to benefit others, to benefit yourself. But if I, was take you, take, if I was to take you to the advanced level of burden bearing, PhD level, I would take you to Luke chapter 6 and verse 31. Because this is powerful stuff. This is powerful, faith-driven spirituality. If we put these things into action, we're talking about revival. Luke 6 and verse 31. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. For if you love those who love you, what thanks do you receive? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what thanks do you receive? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what thanks do you receive? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much in return. But love your enemies and do good and lend hoping for nothing in return. Then your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the highest. For he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Be therefore merciful even as your father is merciful. Listen to that last verse. For he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. The grace of God and his kindness on a daily basis to people that don't acknowledge him, to people that blaspheme him, to people that live without reference to him, to people that Um, uh, raise up false religion, false gods, false materialistic goals. And every day they wake up is by permission of God. The rain falls on the wicked and the righteous. And some of the wicked have some of the greatest benefits on earth today. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. And if this is how he acts... He's asking us to be his children and acts the same. When it says in this passage, what thanks will it be for you to love those that love you back? What thanks will it be to give to those that will give you back? What thanks? What thanks? What thanks? God's thanks. And you'll find out that God is a very thankful person and he remembers and he rewards. To believe that God will reward us in this life and if not in the next is a very high level of spiritual Burden bearing. You know, this is what we attempt to do in our cell life, and and we need to go away today, and we need to realize that this is your primary calling. Above all things, above your calling in business, above your calling in education, above your calling in spiritual ministry, above all these things, God wants you to turn that He's put to those that He's put around you and to cross over the road. You say, well, I'm here if anybody needs to help me. Help! I'm here if anyone needs help. They won't come to you. You have to cross over to them. You have to reach out to them. You have to make the effort. You have to energize your carrying, your burden. And you need to reach out to those that are around you. It could be your neighbor. It could be somebody in your cell. You know, we want to get things out personally. We want to have our burdens looked after in our cell groups, but don't just go to your cell group to see what it's going to give to me. What are you going to give to them that are there? Don't just come to your church and say, what am I going to get out of this today? I hope you do get something out, but what are you going to put in? You know, as we close, I want to read a a poem to you, Footprints in the Sand. We've spoken about how God is kind to the unthankful and evil, And Jesus Christ is the greatest burden-bearer that there ever was. The Father sent him and he willingly came to earth. And on this earth, he carried every burden of a sin-ridden, fallen world. He carried every burden. And on the cross, the burden of the whole world's sin was placed upon him. The fallenness of the whole world. The judgment that was rightly against this fallen, God-forsaking world was put upon him. He carried your burden and he carried my burden. He came to save us. Let's bow our heads. You see, he promises that he'll carry our burdens, especially when we carry other people's burdens. Just before I read this, I want you to think about people that are awaiting your ministry. He's not heavy, he's your brother. She's not heavy, she's your sister. God has placed you to solve problems in other people's lives. It's your main ministry to carry other people's burdens. But you need to know that God has carried yours and will carry yours to release you into this Most satisfying exercise of spirituality. Footprints in the sand. One night I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord. Many scenes from my life flashed across the sky. In each scene I noticed footprints in the sand. Sometimes there were two sets of footprints, other times there were one set of footprints. This bothered me because I noticed that during the low periods of my life, when I was suffering from anguish, sorrow, or defeat, I could only see one set of footprints. So I said to the Lord, you promised me, Lord, that if I followed you, you would walk with me always. But I've noticed that during the most trying periods of my life, There have only been one set of footprints in the sand. Why? When I needed you most, have you not been there for me? The Lord replied, The times when you have seen only one set of footprints in the sand is when I carried you. Why don't you reflect on that for a few moments? The times when you were carrying a burden... Times when you were fallen from life's path. Sometimes it was circumstances not of your making that knocked you down and took you out from the road of life. Other times it was your fault. It was your arrogance, it was your choices, it was your rebellion that knocked you down. God is saying. That he was the one when you couldn't pick yourself up, he picked you up. You didn't. You may not have even realized it at the time. You may not even known that as you are lying on life's way, you are actually in the arms of God carrying you. You might not even know, have known him as your God at the time, but he was carrying you. You could have cried out, Where are you, God? couldn't hear him, but he was carrying you, and you can see it right now, like the author looked back and thought, I don't understand this, and suddenly he realized it was God all the time carrying your burden. Are the people here today and on the internet, you're carrying a burden, not talking about the burdens of life that come along the way. I'm talking about the great burden of sin. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Each one of us has gone our own way. Left to our own devices, we would never seek God. Left to our own devices, we would never call upon him. Thanks be to God for his Holy Spirit that woos us. Speaks to us and draws us to the Father. So you find yourself today, by the grace of God, at the foot of mercy, the cross. You've got this burden of sin left on your back. This burden, when you die, will sink you into realms of punishment that your sin deserves, God is just. You'll get what you deserve. Is that what you want today? You want God to give you what you deserve? That's the last thing you want. But what you deserve was placed on Jesus on Calvary and the sins of the world, past, present and future, were burdened on him and he bled for you and he died for you and he carried the just sentence against us in his own body on a cross. And then he rose again. Now you find yourself with the opportunity to cast that burden carried 2,000 years ago back where it belongs on Calvary. He'll take this burden off you once and for all. Your past sins, taken. Your present sins, taken. Your future mistakes, taken. All taken on Calvary. You get that burden off. You can stand up. God will carry the other burdens that life brings as you carry and focus on loving your neighbor. If you're here today and you're saying, that's me, I'm going to throw my burden of sin on the Calvary. I'm going to trust Jesus alone. He did the work for carrying my sin. I'll have no part in it but to believe. If that's you right where you're sitting, lift your hand to God. Say yes. I'll pray for you.